Chapter 50 Gustav awoke to the sound of singing. Not just any singing. It was her. The song filled his head and twisted around his heart. Why had he been wasting time dancing with Lady Mare and looking for his father when the woman he loved was somewhere out there? Not out there. She was here. Close enough that he could hear her song. Gustav reached for a robe, remembered he was still dressed, and hurried through the hallway. The song grew louder, casting a golden haze over the moonlit stone. Everything was brighter when his love was near. Her voice led him to the library. The melted remains of a candle sat on the table, but the room was empty. Gustav walked around the unopened gifts and past bookshelves searching for the source of the music. The statue of King Francois gleamed silver in the moonlight, but Gustav needed gold. He caught a glimpse of light in the corner of his eye and turned towards it. There? The mirror's golden frame sparkled in time with the song. Gustav walked towards it, letting the music and light fill his senses. They washed away memories of the past few days. Nothing mattered but his love. Nothing ever had. Gustav stood in front of the mirror. Instead of his own reflection, he saw her. The girl he had been searching for since his accident. The golden mist made it difficult to see her face, but blue eyes shone through the gold. The blue that Gustav had been chasing since he woke up on the beach that day. For a moment he thought she was Lady Mare, but that wasn't quite right. Golden hair with a hint of red brushed against her shoulders, moving in a breeze that swept through the library even though the windows were closed. She smiled when she saw him but never stopped singing. Her voice consumed him. It was the thing he had been searching for. The part of him that was missing. It had been missing since that day on the beach. The woman winked and reached her hand towards him. In the dimly lit room, it almost seemed that she was reaching through the glass. That if Gustav reached for her, he could touch her. Grab her hand and feel her warmth and finally know that she was real. Gustav stretched his hand forward. The girl sang softer, drawing him in. He stepped towards the mirror, reaching for her and her song. She leaned forward, coming ever closer. Gustav? Colette's voice pierced the fog like a knife. Gustav blinked, and the woman disappeared. He stared at his reflection in confusion. What had he been doing? He turned and saw Colette standing beside the statue. Why was he in the library? He must have been sleepwalking. Strange. He had never sleepwalked before. Are you well? Colette asked. I know you're worried about father, but you need to sleep. I could say the same to you. I don't have to deal with a ballroom of eligible young ladies tomorrow. Marquis Corbo has a very full schedule planned for you. I suppose he expects me to become engaged by the end of the night now that I've found father. Colette made a face. Something like that. He's very excited about a royal guest who apparently agreed to come at the last minute. Who is it? He's keeping her a secret, but I suspect she's his new favorite for your bride since Lady Annabelle has been such a disaster. Gustav frowned. The last thing he needed was more surprises and marriage prospects. It's only one night, Gustav. It will be fine. She hesitated, clearly having more to say. Gustav waited, knowing she would continue in her own time. 
Are you sure about escorting Lady Mare, Gustav? We don't know anything about her. Gustav sighed. I know you don't like her. No, it isn't that. I actually do like her now that I've given her a chance. I just, I don't understand why you prefer her to Kara. Someone you've known your whole life. Someone that we know is a good person who would make a good queen. Colette, nothing is official. Isn't it? Asking to escort her to the gala is rather official, and I've seen how you look at her. The whole court has. I just want you to be careful. Gustav, I don't want you to get hurt. Gustav looked up at the statue of his father. There are no guarantees, Colette. There will always be something that can hurt you. Colette leaned close to her brother and stared at the statue. Gustav wrapped his arm around her shoulders. We'll find a way to save him, he said. There must be a way. I hope so. I heard Marchioness Rouge is impressed with your budgeting. Gustav hoped the praise would cheer his sister, but instead she looked at him with concern in her eyes. I never meant to take your job, Gustav. As soon as the gala is over, I'll step into the background again. You don't have to implement my plan if you don't want to. Gustav frowned. Is that how you see your role? As someone standing in the background? You're the king, and I support you. Isn't that how it's meant to be? You'll take over the budgets, and I'll go back to tending the gardens. The words were innocent enough, but the hurt in Colette's voice caught Gustav off guard. I thought you liked the gardens. I do like the gardens. It's just. She sighed in exasperation. Gustav, it's fine. Truly. It clearly wasn't, but Colette was wearing a stubborn expression that said she was done discussing the matter, so Gustav let it drop. There would be time later to figure out what was bothering Colette and make it right. They stood together with their father a few minutes longer before leaving the library and going back to their rooms. This time Gustav changed into pajamas and settled improperly. He dreamed of his true love's voice and golden mist until the sun rose. Chapter 51 Fiora awoke to sunlight streaming through the window and birds singing in the garden. She lay in bed, listening for the fainter sounds of gulls and the ocean crashing against the shore. The song of the sea pulled at her heart, making her feel alone and out of place. She tried to sing, but her voice remained as out of reach as ever. No matter since she didn't have the shell, but it would have been reassuring to have her magic back so she could run to the mermaids and ask for their help to recreate the song. Fiora glanced at the door to make sure the chair still blocked the entrance. Then she checked her ring. The pearl glistened in the sunlight. Only a tiny streak across the side remained gray. If the ring was accurate, she was very close to winning Gustav's heart. It seemed impossible, but he had asked her to go with him to the gala. He hadn't admitted his feelings, but there was something in his eyes when he looked at her. Or maybe she was imagining everything. But he had asked her to the gala in front of everyone, and the pearl had regained its sheen. So why hadn't her voice returned? Fiora sighed and stared at the ring. Perhaps it wasn't working because he didn't know who he actually loved. Perhaps a relationship based on deception didn't count. Fiora pulled the bottle of dye-removing potion out from under her pillow and held it up to the light. The glass glistened like a jewel, 
and the liquid inside rolled like ocean waves. Should she tell Gustav the truth? She could wash away her disguise and attend the gala as Fiora instead of Lady Mare. She could explain everything. Or not. She wouldn't have to tell him about the mermaids to reveal her human identity. Perhaps admitting her name would be enough. Fiora closed her eyes and squeezed the bottle tight, trying to convince herself that Gustav's feelings wouldn't change if he knew who she truly was. But instead of Gustav, she saw the face of every prince who had rejected her at the prince's tests. She went through them in order, slowing down when she came to the two most recent. Prince Darian, who had chosen no one and risked starting a war because he found her and every other woman completely inadequate. Prince Alaric, who had ignored the rules and centuries of traditions to avoid choosing her in favor of a mysterious stranger. She had won in Ionia, and still she had lost. And it wasn't just the princess. The royal women hated her as well. Princess Colette had been rude simply because Fiora reminded her of the princess tests. Lena and Karina had teamed up against her, as had countless others. Her own father had found her so useless that he sent her back to the sea without even saying goodbye. Her stepmother had looked at her as little as possible and never had a kind word to say in the rare moments when she acknowledged that Fiora existed. And Elspeth had pretended kindness only to turn a blind eye any time Fiora needed help. Fiora shoved the bottle back under her pillow. She couldn't do it. She couldn't tell Gustav and risk losing the one person who actually liked her. Even if that affection was based on a lie, it was all she had at the moment. She stood, drawing breath in a sharp hiss when her feet touched the ground. How was it possible for the pain to keep getting worse? She sat on the bed and blinked away tears. This was the last day of the enchantment. Things weren't going to get any better, but she couldn't afford to back down now. She had come this far. She just needed to fight a little harder. Prove to Gustav that she was worthy of his heart. If only she believed that herself. Fiora looked to the window, hoping to see Spot waiting for her. Perhaps Althea would be able to fix this. Perhaps the mermaids would find a magical way to wipe away the curse and let her start again under the sea. But the windowsill was empty. Someone knocked on the door, and Fiora gritted her teeth. Time to battle. She hoped it was a servant and not whoever had broken into her room last night. Now that she knew she had enemies in the castle, she needed to watch her back. Fiora limped to the door, slid the chair to the side, and pulled it open. A servant curtsied and entered. The ladies are having breakfast in the garden this morning, miss. Would you like to join them? Fiora scowled. She had hoped to spend the morning with Gustav. How was she supposed to win his heart if she didn't spend time with him? The servant backed away, intimidated by Fiora's fierce expression. It's a tradition on gala days. We can't use the dining room because they're decorating it for tonight. Princess Colette will entertain the ladies while King Gustav entertains the gentlemen. Last it all. She would have to play along for now. Hopefully she could find a way to see Gustav before the gala. If she had to wait until evening, she would have only a few hours to win him over. Fiora realized she was still scowling and forced herself to adopt a pleasant expression. She nodded to the wardrobe, signaling that she would like to get dressed. The servant relaxed a little and pulled out a simple green gown. 
Will this be all right, Lady Mayor? You don't need to dress formally because you'll begin preparing for the gala after you eat. Fiora nodded again, and the servant helped her get dressed. I am sorry to rush you, but Princess Lenora arrived earlier than expected, so they're already in the garden. I'd hate for you to miss any of the fun. Fiora frowned. She knew Princess Lenora from the princess tests. How many other royals would attend the gala? She had gotten lucky with Prince Edric, but would that luck continue? She should have realized the guest list would include members of royal families from all over Myra. Of course it would. And she would dance with Gustav in front of all of them to open the gala. She couldn't have drawn more attention to herself if she tried. Perhaps she should have told Gustav the truth after all. Fiora looked back at her window one last time. No spotted seagull. No help from the mermaids. So she would have to do this on her own. Win Gustav's heart and save herself. She looked down at her ring. At the stubborn streak of gray. Perhaps an evening of dancing would wash it away. The servant smoothed Fiora's dark hair back into a simple twist and hesitated before pulling a pair of matching green slippers from the wardrobe. I know you sometimes prefer to go without shoes, miss, but... Fiora scowled and nodded to the ground. The servant quickly set the shoes down, and Fiora slipped her feet into them. The pain intensified as the shoes squeezed her feet, but Fiora smoothed her features and forced herself to smile. She was a proper lady, and ladies wore shoes. Fiora repeated that to herself to distract from the pain as she walked to the garden in search of the royal ladies. Dowager Queen Bernadine, Princess Colette, Lady Annabel, and Princess Lenora sat at a table in the center of the garden. Servants bustled around them, offering an assortment of juices, pastries, and fresh fruit. Thomas stood behind the Dowager Queen holding a large spyglass. Colette waved and gestured to an empty chair. Lady Mayor, please join us. May I introduce Princess Lenora? Fiora curtsied, gritting her teeth at the pain that accompanied shifting her weight. Princess Lenora nodded her head in greeting. Lenora looked much the same as Fiora remembered. Light gray eyes, dark brown hair, and a pleasant face. The main difference was her clothes. When they participated in princess tests, all the girls wore matching outfits to obscure their true identities. Now, Lenora wore an orange and yellow gown decorated with stripes and spots like a butterfly. The sleeves were long and full, creating the illusion of wings when the princess moved her arms. Her hair was piled high and decorated with fresh flowers. Fiora raised an eyebrow as a butterfly landed on Lenora's head. Apparently the princess of Darluna had a hobby. Or an unhealthy obsession. Difficult to say. It is a pleasure to meet you, Lady Mayor. Lenora sounded like she meant it, which was as good a sign as any that she hadn't recognized Fiora for who she really was. Fiora swallowed a sigh of relief and tried not to stare as more butterflies landed on Lenora's head. They stayed there, sipping from the flowers and gently fluttering their wings. The effect was strange but rather pretty. Lady Annabel cast sideways glances at Lenora, clearly trying to come up with a scathing insult but not sure where to start. Why does Thomas have a spyglass? The question was for Colette, but Lady Annabel glared at Thomas, waiting for a translation. Lady Mare is wondering why I have a spyglass. 
Annabelle's scowl deepened. She clearly didn't believe his translation was accurate. We're watching the harbor for arrivals, Princess Colette said. Several other guests should be arriving by ship today. Fiora nodded her thanks for the explanation and reached for a scone. She looked around the garden, still hoping that Spot would appear. She would happily give him every bit of food on the table in exchange for a message from the mermaids. Isn't the garden lovely? Lenora said. Princess Colette, you have outdone yourself with the landscaping this year. Thank you. Lenora's compliment sounded genuine, but Colette's tone was strained. Lenora frowned and looked to Fiora for an explanation. Fiora shrugged. Even if she knew what was bothering Colette, she had no way to communicate it to Lenora. I oversee a small section of our garden back home, but nothing on this scale, Lenora said. I would love to exchange seeds sometime. Our climate should be similar enough that the same plants would grow in both our gardens. Colette nodded and pushed away whatever was bothering her. Of course, that would be lovely. Is that a ship? Lady Annabelle asked. Fiora looked to the harbor. Yes, a ship was sailing into port. It was the ugliest ship Fiora had ever seen. Surely no royal guests would arrive in such a vessel. Thomas handed the spyglass to Dowager Queen Bernadine. She studied the harbor for a few moments, then passed the spyglass on to Colette. Santel's delegation has arrived. Santel, Lenora said. That ship can't be from Santel. Colette passed the spyglass to Fiora. Gustav did say that Santel lost many ships in the Kraken attack. More than we realized, apparently, Bernadine said. Fiora looked through the spyglass and swallowed a burst of laughter. The ship looked even worse up close. It was short and fat and meandered lazily into the harbor, not in any hurry to reach its destination. The figurehead was a misshapen creature with a wide mouth that took up the entire bow of the ship. The boards were weathered and rotted in places and looked to be held together by barnacles and bad attitude. Faded letters on the side declared that the vessel was called the Sea Frog. Calling it a frog seemed generous. If anything, it was a toad. Once Fiora recovered from her surprise at the ship's ugliness, she turned her attention to the crew. A stern woman in naval uniform stood at the helm. She wore her dark hair pulled back in a tight braid that only emphasized the severity of her expression. Fiora didn't recognize her, but the woman's uniform was definitely from Santel. Judging by the numerous pins on her jacket, she held a high rank in their navy. A gangly boy sprinted across the deck. He moved like he had recently grown and wasn't accustomed to his new size yet. The woman gave him a sharp command. He saluted, ran back the other way, and disappeared below the decks. He looked young enough to still be a cabin boy, but his uniform said otherwise. Perhaps he was one of the royal children. Fiora had heard that they began their naval careers early. Lady Mayor, you must let everyone else take a turn, Lady Annabelle scolded. Fiora rolled her eyes and handed over the spyglass. By everyone else, Annabelle clearly meant herself. Bring another chair, Dowager Queen Bernadine ordered the nearest servant. Princess Serafina will be joining us shortly. Chapter 52 Gustav hurried to the library as soon as he woke, hoping to get there and do some research before the rest of the castle began preparing for the gala. 
Elaine was already there. She shook her head at Gustav's hopeful look. I haven't found anything useful. I'm sorry. I read the passage you marked about breaking curses. Do you think it will help? It would if we had any way of knowing what type of magic was used to cast the curse. Your Majesty. Marquis Corbo burst into the library, calling out in triumph when he saw his king. Gustav sighed. So much for doing research first. Elaine gave him a sympathetic look. Marquis Corbo glared at her. The other ladies are having breakfast in the garden. I'm sure they would appreciate your company. Elaine shrugged. They won't miss me. I'll join them when it's time to get ready. Marquis Corbo sniffed derisively, but what else could he do? Elaine was a guest. He had no way to force her to behave. Gustav wished he could say the same for himself, but he couldn't avoid his royal duties. Not today. Prince Leonardo has already arrived, Marquis Corbo said. He and Prince Edric are waiting for you in the stables. The stables? I've arranged for you to go on a morning ride with them. You'll find a snack in your saddlebags, and breakfast will be served in your study when you return. Is the ride necessary? Marquis Corbo narrowed his eyes. It is a tradition to provide amusement for your guests, Your Majesty. So yes, it is necessary. Not everyone finds sitting inside and reading books all day enjoyable. He cast a pointed look at Elaine, who ignored the Marquis and gave Gustav a sympathetic smile. Think of it as an opportunity, Your Majesty. Ionia and Santel have dealt with magical attacks recently. Perhaps other countries have as well. Or perhaps they have resources in their libraries that we could borrow. Gustav considered this. It was a good suggestion. Edric and Leonardo were both crown princes. They would have access to information that others didn't. Although Edric might not have been crown prince long enough to be well informed. Do not bore your guests with talk of magic, Marquis Corbo said. And what are we supposed to talk about instead? Gustav asked. It was meant to be a hypothetical question, and he walked out the door without expecting an answer. Marquis Corbo followed him. You could inquire if Princess Lenora is attached to anyone. I had not considered her because she has a reputation for being rather eccentric. But at this point, our options are so limited that she could be worth pursuing. You want me to ask Prince Leonardo if his twin sister is available for marriage? Yes, exactly. Gustav quickened his pace. Taking a ride and getting away from the castle suddenly seemed like a very good idea. The grooms had already saddled his horse and two others when he arrived. Prince Leonardo looked from Gustav to Edric with a questioning glance, obviously trying to ask Gustav what had happened to Crown Prince Darien. Gustav shrugged to say he didn't know. He raised his hands to sign further comments, then dropped them again. Leonardo didn't know sign language. There was no way to communicate secretly with him as Gustav did with Lady Mare. He hoped Lady Mare was having a better time this morning than he was. There was no telling what his grandmother would do in the name of entertaining the ladies. He wished he could skip this whole ordeal and spend time with Lady Mare instead. They could walk along the beach and look for mermaids. He could find more shells for her. Prince Edric's crown slipped down over his forehead as he mounted his horse. He took it off, 
fixed his hair, and replaced it. Leonardo and Gustav shared a look. Neither of them wore their crowns. It was typical to wear them for ceremonies and official appearances, but while riding? Definitely not. Once Edric had adjusted the crown to his liking, Gustav nudged his horse and rode ahead to show the way. He picked a path that led up towards the mountains. There was an open stretch on it that would give them an opportunity to gallop if they wanted, and it would be less crowded than the beach. Once they reached the plateau, Gustav slowed so the princes could catch up and ride beside him. Edric reached into his saddlebag, pulled out an apple, and began to eat. So much for galloping. Gustav shared another look with Leonardo, then shrugged and pulled food from his saddlebag as well. The horses walked at a leisurely pace while the men ate. Gustav stared ahead, considering Elaine's advice. It was possible that either Edric or Leonardo had information about magic, but how could he ask them about it without raising suspicion about why he was asking? It didn't seem wise to tell people he didn't trust know about his father's condition. But maybe he was being overly paranoid. The only way the kingdoms could help each other was if they worked together. He would need to discuss that with his council first. In the meantime, how could he bring up magic casually? It wasn't exactly a common topic of conversation. I heard you had trouble with magic in Santel, Prince Leonardo said. Then again, maybe it was. Yes, we were attacked by kraken and mermaids. What? When? Apparently news of the incident had not yet reached across the sea to Eldria. Prince Edric dropped his apple in surprise. He watched it roll away, shrugged, and pulled a piece of ham from his saddlebag. Prince Edric was occupied with his ham, so Gustav turned back to Leonardo. He seemed to be the better informed of the two princes. There was an incident in Ionia as well. I expect your father told you about it. Yes. There seems to be a trend of dark creatures attacking, especially in coastal cities. Do you think the mermaids are angry with humans for some reason? Gustav hadn't considered that most of the attacks had happened in countries by the sea. It's possible. You haven't seen anything unusual in Darluna. No, thank goodness. I'm sure you've got your hands full rebuilding after losing the ships to the Kraken. Yes, although we weren't hit as hard as Santel. If the mermaids are mobilizing Kraken, that is a cause for great concern. We may need to call an emergency council of kings. If the mermaids are attacking, I don't think they are all in agreement about it. Some of them seem to be trying to stop the kraken. One of them saved my life. Then why have they not come forward and offered friendship? Why is there no treaty? This conversation wasn't exactly going how Gustav had imagined. Before he could answer, the ground shook beneath them. The horses pranced nervously and Gustav swallowed. What was that? Edric said. An earthquake. I think. Perhaps we should ride back. Prince Leonardo nodded, and they turned back towards the castle. Gustav pressed his horse into a trot. Perhaps that was a normal earthquake. Not a seemingly magical one like the one that had buried Lady Mare in books and boxes. But he wasn't willing to assume anything at this point. His pulse raced. He did his best to appear calm, but he wouldn't be at ease until he knew that Lady Mare was safe. So you don't think the mermaids are unified in their attacks?
Prince Leonardo said. I wish I had better information for you, but I only had a few conversations with them. The mermaid I spoke to seemed capricious. Helping one moment and threatening to kidnap humans the next. You actually spoke to mermaids? Edric asked. Gustav had almost forgotten that Edric was riding with them. He turned to the prince, who had a strange expression on his face. Yes, I spoke to mermaids. Edric swallowed and looked nervous. Interesting. Has Eldria experienced any magical attacks recently? Prince Leonardo asked. You're on the coast and share a border with Ionia. A small border, Edric said quickly. He adjusted his crown, then realized they were waiting for him to answer the question. No, we haven't experienced any magical attacks. Perhaps whatever attacked in Ionia has moved to your side of the sea. Lena said a goblin attacked in Ionia, Gustav said. There haven't been any goblins here. Just Kraken, Prince Leonardo said. I don't know enough about magic to know how different goblins and Kraken are. Besides the obvious differences in size and shape, of course. Do you think they could be working together? Perhaps coordinating with the mermaids? Gustav hadn't considered this. I don't know enough about them to say. Lena might. Yes, the mysterious Evangelina Shadowstorm does seem to know something about all this. You believe her story? He offered evidence for her in the Council of Kings, Prince Edric said. I should hope that he does. It sounded almost like an accusation. I have no reason not to believe her. Gustav couldn't help sounding defensive. He bristled at the implication that he would promote lies to the council. My father thinks it was an excuse, Edric said. A way for Prince Alaric to marry the commoner he loved but still maintain his claim to the throne. Gustav laughed. He couldn't help it. That preposterous theory reminded him of the King of Santel, who had refused to believe in magic or kraken until he saw them firsthand. The older generation does seem strangely resistant to the idea of magic, Prince Leonardo said. But is it really that far-fetched? What about the witch who enchanted King Gnome? Or all the historical accounts of powerful magicians? Or even enchanted objects like your ring, King Gustav? Magic may be increasingly rare, but it certainly does exist. Increasingly common may be a better description, Gustav said. Do you have historical accounts of magic in your library? We have a few texts, but nothing that has proved useful in dealing with mermaids or kraken or curses. He added the bit about curses hoping to lead the conversation away from mermaids to magic in general. We might, Leonardo said. Perhaps an exchange of information would be helpful. If these magical attacks spread inland, I want Darluna to be as prepared as possible. What about you, Prince Edric? What's that? Does Eldria have any magical texts in their library that they would be willing to share in an exchange of information? Prince Edric stiffened. I don't know. I haven't spent much time in the library. They reached the castle and dismounted. Gustav pulled a groom aside and asked him to check on Lady Mare and report back, then led the princes to his study. A table spread with breakfast food had been set by the window. A boy dressed in a naval uniform sat at the table. He had piled his plate high with food and already worked his way through half of it. Oh good! you're back. 
he stood and gave a crisp salute. Then he seemed to remember he wasn't on a ship and bowed as well. Gustav, Leonardo, and Edric stared at him. Let's eat, the boy said. He sat down and bit into a strip of bacon. After a moment of blinking at him in surprise, Gustav sat as well. King Gustav of Montana at your service, he said, trying to stay polite and hoping this wasn't one of Marquis Corbeau's ridiculous schemes. The boy swallowed his bacon and grinned. Prince Massimo of Santel at yours. Sorry I started eating without you. Marquis Corbo said you would be riding for a few hours and told me to wait here. Our ship arrived a few minutes ago. Prince Leonardo of Darluna at your service. Who else came from Santel? My sister Serafina and our crew. King Gustav, why is there a wedding dress in your study? Massimo gestured to the mannequin in the wedding dress, which still stood where Marquis Corbo had placed it. Gustav grimaced. With everything else that had happened, he had forgotten about Marquis Corbo's ridiculous scheme to prepare everything for his wedding in advance. You found a bride? Prince Edric said. I had not heard that news. Congratulations. I have not found a bride. Marquis Corbo just wants to be very ready when I do. Is it because he planned for you to marry Karina? Massimo asked. Gustav pressed his lips together. Weren't the royal children of Santel supposed to be disciplined and tight-lipped? Serafina certainly was. Apparently Massimo was more similar to Karina than his eldest sister. You had an understanding with Karina? Edric asked. Massimo chimed in before Gustav could answer. No, Karina fell in love with a frog and moved to Ionia. Well, she was technically banished, but I think she would have gone with him anyway. Prince Leonardo dropped his bacon and stared at Massimo. The young prince beamed. Serafina said I might find my time here boring, but you all aren't boring at all. There was a curse, Gustav said. This was as good an opportunity as any to bring up curses and gather information. Prince Stefan of Ionia was cursed and became a frog. Princess Karina saved him. Have you all heard of anything similar? I've been reading as much as I can about the subject in case it happens again. Turned into a frog? How is that possible? Leonardo asked. He sounded more curious than disbelieving, but he didn't sound like a promising source of information. Prince Edric was so surprised by the story that he choked on his juice. He coughed, trying to regain his composure. His face had gone pale. So much for promising sources of information. The only person at the table who knew more about curses than Gustav wasn't old enough to shave. A servant entered the room and bowed. Your Majesty will be happy to know that Lady Mare is perfectly well and has suffered no ill effects from the earthquake. Massimo grinned. Who's Lady Mare? Is she the reason you didn't want to marry Karina? Gustav closed his eyes and wished it was acceptable for a king to hide under the table. Suddenly, he couldn't wait for the gala.